So, um, you know, I was giving the people online a hard time, told them they were at home eating donuts and drinking coffee. And uh, Ted came up to me and he said, well, at least they're eating holy food. <laughs> this congregation is full of cheese. And donuts, thanks. <laughs> all right, Revelation chapters 15 and 16. We've worked our way all the way through 14. And today, I'm just going to introduce the topics of 15 and 16. And um, this chapter, these two chapters, give us the seven final judgments of God. So we've been spending weeks looking at all the wrath that God is pouring out on earth. And finally, it's done. These are the last seven Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. This is one of the very few chronological indicators in the book of Revelation. I've got a really cool Revelation chart at home. I've even given you one from a guy named Larkin. It tells you how it's all laid out. It's cool, it's a nice study tool, but what does he know? Because the book of Revelation is not put in chronological order. So he knows more than I know, but none of us know. But there are a few chronological indicators that we can bank on. Because they're in the book and you don't have to guess at them. Here's one. Here we are in chapters 15 or 16, right? And our first chronological indicator says, For in them the wrath of God is complete. Well, there's several more chapters in the book of Revelation. If it was in chronological order, it'd be done here. In them, the wrath of God is complete. Done. Tribulation's over. End of the book. But it's not the end of the book. So that's one of our chronological indicators. He says, after these things, I looked. Oh, that's the second one. Sorry. I've got four more. So the first one I gave you was the wrath of God is complete. Now four more, the first of the four. After these things I looked and behold the door standing open in heaven. When I was back in Revelation chapter 4, we read this verse. After these things I looked and behold the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, Come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. I underlined this for you on purpose. Just like this one. It says, after these things, I looked. All right, chronological indicator. John wrote during the first century. He wrote to seven congregations. And then he said, after these things. We know that those seven congregations existed in Asia Minor. Real letters to real congregations. And then he said, after these things. So John says, basically, in my future. After these things. So from chapter 4 on, it's the future. It's pretty easy to figure that out. John's future. We'll get to whether or not it's our future. With this next quote. This one. Um, let's see. There we go. Jesus. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So Jesus is saying a tribulation is coming worse than the world has ever seen. 
In fact, if I don't stop those days, everybody on the planet will die. Hasn't happened yet, has it? No. So we know it was John's future because it hasn't happened yet. So he said, after these things, and he started to speak, we know it was about his future, and then the tribulation itself is about the future. I mean, Rome was bad. So after Jesus said that, and after John wrote, they still had to deal with the Roman Empire. And maybe they were thinking, ah, oh, these are the end of days. When the persecutions of the Christians started, they were probably thinking, oh, this is it. This is what he was writing about. But we know that wasn't the end because we're still here. And then there was World War I. World War I was much worse than Rome. In fact, World War I was called the war to end all wars. And then we had World War II. World War II was worse than World War I. So what Jesus spoke about still hasn't happened. It's still in our future. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's not going to be pretty. Now, the reason I'm telling you it's our future, a lot of you are saying, of course, Steve, we know it's our future. Well, you might, but there's a whole school of theology called preterism that doesn't believe this stuff is future. They think it's all been fulfilled already. So I want you to know what I think is the proper understanding of the scripture. All right. Next chronological indicator, Revelation chapter 6, verse 8. So I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So in Revelation chapter 6, he says, they'll have power, the four horsemen of, of the apocalypse, over 25% of the earth. He says, over a fourth of the earth. Well, I just read to you a passage that says, if Jesus didn't come back, the whole earth would be destroyed. So we know that these four horsemen of the apocalypse have to happen towards the beginning of the tribulation. Because if it was at the end, it wouldn't be over a quarter of the earth. It'd be over the whole earth. Does that make sense? Did I, did I say it right? They said the four horsemen of the apocalypse are only going to affect a quarter of the planet. But the whole tribulation affects the whole planet, so we know they're at the beginning of the tribulation as it marches forward. And that brings us to our third chronological indicator. Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 through 17. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? A couple things. Obviously, the heavens haven't receded like a scroll, and the great day of the wrath of the Lamb hasn't come yet. It's still future. But there's our chronological indicator. In Revelation chapter 6, it's the end. The great day of the wrath has come. So here we are in Revelation 6 at the end again. And we still have half the book of Revelation go, more than half. Then I showed you at the very beginning, Revelation 15 and 16, we're at the end again. 
and we still have several chapters to go. So the book of Revelation is not chronological. It's more like this. It talks, and then it goes back and talks some more and fills in the details, and then it talks and it goes back some more. It's all interwoven. And it's not just the book of Revelation. That's how Jewish uh, communication was. That's how the Bible is. Case in point, how many of you have read the first three chapters of Genesis? Let me see your hands. Have you noticed the creation story is mentioned twice? He tells you the story. Then he goes back after day seven to day one again and tells you more detail. So what you see in the first book of the Bible, you see in more detail in the last book of the Bible. They tell you the story. They go back and give you some more detail. The problem is with Revelation, we don't know where they're going back from and how forward they're going forward to. And that's why we're a little confused. And that's why we don't have anything laid out chronologically, at least not so that we can bank on it. The first four seals happened during the first part of the tribulation. The sixth seal brings us to the very end of the tribulation. Jesus said that the events described in the sixth seal are the ones that happen at the very end. Let me read to you. Revelation, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, notice I under that word after, chronological indicator, after the tribulation. Ah, so when is he talking about? He's talking about after the tribulation, towards the very end. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the earth will be shaken, the, son of, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. So Jesus is saying right before he comes back, right after the tribulation, we're going to see this cosmic distress. It's a good chronological indicator. And that's what we see in the sixth seal. So again, we're only partway through the Bible and already he's talking about the very end of the Bible. And then our final of the last four chronological indicators comes from Revelation chapter 10, verses 6 through 7. There should be delay no longer, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, the seventh trumpet, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. We've already finished talking about the seven trumpets. We did that a few weeks ago. And yet there's several more chapters of the Bible again. And yet it says, in the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God is finished. It's all over. So I think I've made my point that the book of Revelation is not chronological. And I think I made my point that from chapter forward on, most of it is prophetic. And that's what I wanted to do. So just to sum up what we've learned so far. The book of Revelation is primarily prophecy, not history. It's still yet to be fulfilled. Secondly, there will be three sets of judgments that will broaden in scope and spread throughout the time of the tribulation period. The seals, which we looked at, Jesus opening up the book. There were seven of them. The seven trumpets that the angel blows. And then the seven plagues that the angels pour out of bowls or vials. So there's three sets of judgments listed in the book of Revelation that are going to affect the earth. And everybody thinks they're chronological but I just made the, the point that they're not. Though the sets of judgments are mentioned as if chronological order, they seem to overlap to a great extent. And number four, with the seven bowl judgments, God's wrath on earth is finished. Revelation chapter 15. That's, that's you know, kind of an intro to it. Now we're there. The chapter itself 
mentions the seven last plagues and tells us that those who come through the tribulation in faith will worship God in the same way that the children of Israel who left Egypt worshiped God. So it's bringing those two things together. And we're going to see in the coming weeks that John writes about the plagues in the book of Revelation like he writes about the plagues from Egypt, like Moses wrote about the plagues in Egypt. We've already seen it once when we talked about the two witnesses, and yet there's more to come. It says they will worship God just like the children of Egypt worship God or the children of Israel when they left Egypt. And we have the words that they used in Exodus, again used in Revelation with more tied to it. Here it is. Revelation chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God and Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of saints. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested or revealed. So after the tribulation, we see all these saints worshiping God. During the tribulation, we see all the saints worshiping God too. I find it interesting that at the very end, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and everybody's worshiping God. At the beginning of the Bible, when there was the first heaven and the first earth, listen to what Job writes. Remember, Job is one of the earliest books in the Bible. It fits into the timeline of Genesis. Job chapter 38, verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So at the very creation, when the angels were there but we weren't, they were worshiping God at the creation. And then at the end of the creation, everybody's worshiping God. And at the new heaven and the new earth, everybody's worshiping God. I like worshiping God. He deserves it. He does good things for us. He is our only hope. The older I get, the more I realize this. Because, you know, I've had near 50 years to try to do things my own way. And I don't like it. I need God's help in everything. More than that, I just need God. And so I like to, to tell him thank you, and I like to cry out to him and ask him to, to lead me the rest of the way, because life is hard. It's very hard. My son sent us a letter. He's only been able to send one, and this was before that nice phone call. And he said twice in the letter, I'm not having fun. <laughs> How's that for an understatement? But if you know Nathaniel, him saying that twice in a letter would be like you and I freaking out if the world explodes. Because Nathaniel is a very calm person. You know, nothing phases him. Nothing ruffles his feathers. So the fact that he said it twice, I know he really means it. Now, I've never been through boot camp, but I have been through the police academy. I thought it was great fun. I like getting yelled at and running so far that I wanted to collapse out of exhaustion. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Of course, I didn't like it when we had to go through the field of gas and get the mace on our face. That wasn't so much fun. I said, do you regret having gone through boot camp, that you made this decision? He said, no, not really. 
He said, I knew going into it, it would be hard and that it wouldn't last that long and then I'd have the career that I wanted. So it's worth it. It's an investment. A little bit of suffering for a great future. Smart boy. And that made me think about women. <laughs> I shall redeem myself. They have a baby. And I understand that having a baby hurts a lot. I know this because I was at the birth of several of mine. I know this, that when my wife squeezed my hand, she almost broke my thumb. And the only reason she didn't break my thumb is I squeezed her hand back with all my might. And I was a lot stronger than my wife. And she almost broke my thumb. She ripped part of her bed apart. I know of a lot of women who say, I'm going to have a natural birth. And when that contraction starts kicking in hard and labor starts kicking, give me drugs! Why did you do this to me? I've seen it. Women are strong. In many ways, they're stronger than men. In suffering, they're stronger than men. They may not be able to bench press as much as men, but when they suffer, like my wife, oh, it's only 103 degrees fever. What do you want for dinner? I'm like, I got the sniffles, honey. I'm going to stay home from work today. I don't feel good. Women are strong. And here's the funny thing. They go through what is conceivably the worst pain a human can go through, giving birth. And then they want to do it again. <laughs> and again. My wife did it four times. I know exactly why women have babies and men don't. Because if men had babies, Adam would have said, one and done. We're not doing this ever again. And that would have been the end of the human race. <laughs> right, guys? Absolutely. Boot camp is intentional suffering for a brighter future. Labor is intentional suffering for love and joy and a brighter future. And these crazy women will do it over and over again. I believe with all my heart, especially in light of the Supreme Court's recent decision, which has so upset so many people, I believe that life on earth is like boot camp for Christians. It's not pleasant. It's not meant to be pleasant. It's meant to be training. It's a training ground for the next life. That one's going to be pleasant. Life seems long while you're living it, but go ahead and make a scale someday on a piece of paper. Put zero on this end, put infinity on that end, and then try to mark off 80 years. It'll be on the same line as the pencil mark is the zero because it can't fit on the scale. So I know it seems long now, but we're just in boot camp. It's only going to last, you know, a few weeks. And then we have an eternity of bliss. By the way, this uh, Supreme Court thing, I still don't have my mind totally wrapped around what I want to say about it. I've given it a lot of thought, and I'm still not there. I think I need to write blog, because usually when I put things on paper, my thoughts start congealing. Maybe I'll even do a sermon on it. Um, upset? Yeah. 
Surprised? No, I expected it. I mean, 36 states already had gay marriage. I'm not surprised. Momentous? Oh, yeah. A watershed moment in our country's history. You can go online and read all sorts of scathing things from conservatives. You can even read what the dissenting judges said. Basically, because it was, what, a 5-4 split? Basically, one person decided that all of human history was wrong and we're going to start fresh. But let me tell you something. We call them the Supreme Court. They're not the Supreme Court. That's the Supreme Court. God is the judge of judges. And just because they say something is right doesn't mean it's right. You and I know that. And I want to give you a little encouragement. Jesus said these days were coming. He said morality was going to disappear. We just are surprised at how quickly it's happening. But don't be surprised. He said it's coming. We're watching prophecy be fulfilled before our very eyes. The days are getting darker and darker. But let me tell you something about darkness. The darker it gets, the lighter, the brighter light shines. When homosexual people start marrying and marrying and marrying, they're going to realize they're not fulfilled. Because that's not how God created us. You can't be fulfilled that way. The only real fulfillment, heterosexual marriage gives some fulfillment, but the only real fulfillment is in Jesus. And so our ability to minister to hurt people is going to explode. What they meant for evil, God will turn to good. So don't despair. Your opportunities to ministry are going to explode. Get on. Get ready. Pray. Praise God. This is boot camp. Speaking of which, I told my son, I said, I've written you every day since you've sent me the address. He says, I haven't gotten one yet. I said, well, and I'll continue to write you every day unless you don't want me to. If that's too much, you just tell me. I don't want to overwhelm you. He said, this is funny. This is what I expected. Nah, you don't have to write, Dad. It's cool. He said, every other day would be fine. <laughs> that's my boy, because he didn't want me to be overwhelmed with writing. And then I said, you know what, son? Do me a favor. My son loves the Lord, okay? So, so you know that. He said, do me a favor. Quietly look around and see if any of the guys aren't getting letters. And if they're not, sneak me their name and address. And I or some of our people will write to them so they can get letters too. See, in boot camp, you can minister to people. In your job, you can minister to people. If you get demoted or fired, I know it's upsetting. Don't be upset. God's sending you somewhere to minister to people. The reason we get upset, I get upset, I'm in the same game as you are, I'm trying to grow and learn too. The reason we get upset is because our heart was on that job and our reliance was on that paycheck. Our heart should not be on the job and our reliance should not be on the paycheck. Our heart should be on God and our reliance should be on God. A job is just a means to an end. And what is that end? Serving God. So if God, who is your Lord and Savior, says it's time for you to move on, don't get upset, say thank you. I'm anxious to see what you have for me. It's all about changing our focus. So, am I upset with what the Supreme Court did? Yes. Am I in despair? No. Jesus is still on the throne. This didn't happen, and he's sitting in heaven saying, dang, I didn't see that coming. Or, that's not what I wanted to happen. What I wanted to happen was this. Jesus said, 
on the list of a thousand things that have to happen before he comes back, that he made happen, he says, there's 995. Click. Don't despair. God is still on the throne. Well, I want to wrap up my sermon with five promises that God has given. The first one comes from Romans chapter 8. For I am persuaded, this is the Apostle Paul writing, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Let me reread that. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor supreme courts, nor things present or things to come, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? I believe it. Here's the Apostle Paul, arguably one of the smartest men on the planet at his time, filled with the Holy Spirit, writing scripture. He could have just said, nothing can separate you from Jesus. Why didn't he? Why did he go through that whole litany? I'll tell you why. I've been a pastor for, man, 25 years. I've been in ministry for 30 years. And I tell people they're secure in the arms of Jesus. And you know what I hear from them? Yeah, but what if I do this? What if this happens? There's always a yeah, but. This doesn't leave room for yeah, buts. He covered everything. Neither death nor life. Okay, that covers everything right there. But he goes on. Nor things present, nor to come. Yeah, but nor things to come. Yeah, but nor things to come. Nothing. Height nor depth. Nor anything in all creation. This, one of the smartest men on the planet made a list of everything he could possibly conceive of to get rid of all the abbots. And he did for me. And yet over the last 30 years, I still hear abbots. So if you got anybody giving you a yabbit, just send them right here. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39. That's a promise from God Almighty himself. Nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. You sign on the dotted line, and he has your back forever. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Here's the next promise, 1 Corinthians 15. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I don't care what they do in Washington. It's got no impact on how I live my life. What if they make it illegal to speak against gay marriage? Well, they have in part, and I have no doubt that they will. In Canada, I think 75 pastors are in the court system right now because they gave a sermon against gay marriage. Somewhere up in the Netherlands, up in that part of the country, I forgot which country specifically, there's a pastor facing jail time and a $500,000 fine for speaking publicly against homosexuality. It's coming this way too. So what am I going to do? What I've been doing. Tell the truth. You know? If I get persecuted for it, it's not my fault. But I'm not going to let bad people tell me to stop doing good. I'm just going to keep telling the truth, regardless of the consequences. That's what boot camp's all about. And you know what? I don't think I can influence the Congress, the Senate, the President, or the Supreme Court to change their mind. But if I can influence one person 
take them to heaven with me? It's not a bad thing. And you know what? I think I could do more than one person. So, blog, cry, pray. But don't give up hope. We're on the winning side. As Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be saved. That word saved can be delivered also. Well, how about this? The meek, and this is, so we've got the Romans passage, we've got the Corinthians passage. He who endures to the end will be saved. That's our third one. Our fourth one, the meek will inherit the earth. Now, that was short and sweet. Our time's coming. The darker it gets and the closer to the end we get, the closer to the end we get. Our retirement is coming. Scripture says we have not yet entered into our Sabbath rest. We labor. But the day is coming. Retirement is close. Work harder. And then our fifth one, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 8 and 9 which is quoted in part in the New Testament a couple of places. Here's what it says. Isaiah 25, verses 8 through 9. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Right? Yep. Yes. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so anxious for the return of Jesus. But you have put us here now for a reason and for a season. Don't let us despair. Don't let us quit. Help us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so we can work harder for you. So we can let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven like Joe Burton is showing us to do. Help us to do it more and more. Help us to ooze with the love of Jesus. And may our beacon be so bright that it will attract everybody to you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for saving us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.